Hi, I'm Jim Corcus, Disney historian, and I'm listening to Stories of the Magic. You should always listen to Stories of the Magic because this will enhance your Disney experience and make you a much happier person rather than a grumpy. Welcome to Stories of the Magic, an unofficial Disney podcast with your host, Randy Crane. Hear stories from Disney cast members, Imagineers, artists, and more right here on Stories of the Magic. And now, here's your host, Randy Crane. Welcome to episode 103 of Stories of the Magic. I'm Randy, your host. Thank you for joining me. If you're new to Stories of the Magic, we are a positive and story-filled Disney podcast offering stories from cast members, Imagineers, artists, actors, and more, including guests, promoting a mutual love of Disney, celebrating and preserving the Disney magic and legacy, and inspiring people to live their dreams just as Walt Disney did. If that appeals to you or piques your curiosity, you're definitely in the right place, and I am glad you're here. In this episode, we have a returning guest on the show. Disney historian and author Jim Corcus is back for a two-part interview. I introduce him much more in the interview intro, so let me give you a preview of what we're going to cover, and then we'll just dive on in. In this episode, Jim talks about some of the practical jokes Disney animators used to play on each other. Why December was generally such a good month for the Disney family. Why Walt's brother Roy is such an underrated member of the family. What it was like for Walt as a kid having his birthday so close to Christmas and more about his early Christmases. Now, this part has a little bit about Santa that you may want to skip if you have little ears listening. About 13 minutes into the interview section is where it starts and then goes for about six minutes. Also, one of the most difficult things for Tom Hanks when it came to portraying Walt Disney and saving Mr. Banks. Why Walt's intended Christmas scene for Bambi didn't make it into the film. Disney Christmas comic strips the gift Walt got as an early teenager that transformed his entire life, an animated cartoon where Walt voiced a character, and some favorite Christmas gifts that Jim and I got over the years. Now a brief word from a fellow podcaster and friend, and then it's time to turn the page and begin this story. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Hey, hey, Skywalkers. This is Richard, and over here is my sweetie wife, Sarah. You can call me Jedi Tink. And we are Skywalking Through Neverland. Jimmy Mack here. When you wish upon a podcast, wish upon this podcast. These guys are awesome. (laughs) We are a fan-focused podcast that covers Star Wars, Disney, pop culture, and their fandom communities. The stuff that surrounds us, penetrates us, and binds us all together as instantaneous friends. What do you know? We showcase what people are doing in the world of fandom and talk to those who are involved firsthand in the universes that we love. This is Margaret Carey, Tinkerbell. This is Jeremy Bullock, Boba Fett from Star Wars. This is Steve Sansweet from Rancho Obi-Wan. Hey, it's James Arnold Taylor, the voice of Obi-Wan Kenobi, and I happen to be skywalking through Neverland right now. And I'm skywalking through Neverland. And I am skywalking through Neverland. I've always hated space travel. Yeah. Skywalking Through Neverland is the ultimate expression of fandom. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, and our website, skywalkingthroughneverland.com. And remember, Neverland on Alderaan. <laughs> 
And now, this week's interview on Stories of the Magic. On episodes 54, 55, and 56 of Stories of the Magic, I had the privilege of interviewing someone I've respected and admired as a Disney historian for about a decade, Jim Corcus. In that interview, we talked extensively about his own history with Disney, and we delved deeply into answering the questions of whether Walt Disney was anti-Semitic and what his personal religious beliefs were. Apparently, a lot of people wanted to know those answers, as two of those episodes are in my top ten most downloaded, and the third one is just barely outside of it. Jim is the, also the author of ten Disney-related books, The Revised Vault of Walt and a couple more Vault of Walt volumes, one of which I was honored to provide a back cover quote for, Who's Afraid of Song of the South, Book of Mouse, and two new books released this fall, Vault of Walt Volume 4 and Secret Stories of Walt Disney World, all published by Theme Park Press. Besides these and a few other books that I didn't specifically name, he's written hundreds of articles and given hundreds of presentations about all things Disney for over three decades. The Disney Company makes frequent use of his extensive expertise and knowledge for special projects, and he was awarded the prestigious Partners in Excellence Award by Disney in 2004. Since we're well into the 2015 holiday season, Jim has agreed to come back on the show to talk about Disney and Christmas. We'll talk about Walt's early Christmases, including a very special present he got as a young teenager that helped him become a, a cartoonist. And if we have time, we'll venture into some other Disney and Christmas stories. Now, without further ado, Jim, welcome back to Stories of the Magic. Well, Randy, th- thank you for inviting me uh, back. You know, I'm I'm always excited uh, to be on the show. I, uh, that introduction, I'm I'm blushing on on this side of the uh, uh, phone here. You certainly set the bar high enough. I, made it sound so interesting and exciting. I wish I was home listening to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yes, thanks for, for mentioning my uh, uh, two latest uh, books that people can ask Santa to put in their Christmas stockings. Uh, uh, the Vault of Walt, Volume 4, which uh, is uh, divided into four sections of uh, Walt stories, Disney film stories, uh, park stories, and... Uh, um, you know, uh, miscellaneous stories, including uh, a, a chapter that people really love, which is about all the pranks that um, uh, animators used to play on each other at the Disney Studios while uh, Walt was alive. They, Because, again, as Ward Kimball uh, once told me, you know, it, it gets very boring sitting there at your uh, desk drawing picture after picture, and and it's just slightly different than the picture before so you need to do different things to uh uh blow off steam whether it's uh you know uh, uh getting into rubber band fights or or sticking a, a piece of uh limburger cheese underneath the animation desk so that when as the light keeps uh burning you know the smell you know it, it starts to get greater and greater and you have no idea where that's coming from and and the story of the brand new animator, and they they hooked up um, his uh, animation light underneath the the disc with a uh, here's here's Christmas related with, with one of those Christmas switches that you would have for the lights on the tree where the lights blink on and off, and so at his animation desk the light kept blinking on and off, and so um, uh, being very diligent, what he would do is when the light was on is he would rush to try and get as much done as he could, and then the light would go off, and he would wait until the light would come back on. So um, 
and for me, the exciting thing about the book is that first section of Walt's stories where I cover all of his homes and uh, his different studios and uh, hangouts, places where he went to get a bite of eat, and secret stories of uh, Walt Disney World, where, uh, you know, there's some people, when you say they're, you're a Disney fan, some people are a fan of Walt, some are of animation, some are just fans of uh, uh, the theme parks or a specific theme park like like Disneyland. But uh, there are very few books about uh, Walt Disney World, so I thought it was time to get some of the, the true stories out there because uh, I'm sure you've seen, too, that a lot of uh, uh, imaginative stories have been cut and pasted over and over to different websites, and they're either misleading or incomplete or completely wrong. So it's time to get some good uh, information out there. So, And as you said, these are all available at uh, themeparkpress.com and amazon.com. And I hope people will be so excited listening to me today that they'll go, you know, that guy should write a book. Wait a minute, he did. I'm going to go buy one of those. <laughs> Absolutely. I have several of them, and the ones I don't have are definitely on my wish list. That's good. That, that's good because, uh, you know, I'm just a poor orphan boy now, and this is how, you know, this is how I earn my living. So uh, think of this, this this Christmas season, you know, and December. What 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 a terrific time of the year for the, the Disney family. You know, Walt, of course, was, was born December 5th and unfortunately passed away in December. But his older brothers, Herbert and Ray, were both born in December, and his younger sister, uh, Ruth, was born in December. And um, his uh, daughter, uh, uh, Diane, was born in December as well. So what yeah, a, what a, a wonderful time of the year. Yeah. A, a few of them, besides Walt, uh, or at least a couple of mine, also passed away in December. Mm-hmm. So, well, I, Roy, if I was the Disney you know, family, Roy uh, uh, specifically, unfortunately, you know, Roy, a very uh, underrated uh, uh, figure in Disney history. You know, if it weren't for Roy, um, Walt Disney World would never have been built. The, the Disney company was literally looking to cancel the project after Walt's death. It was uh, Roy, who was 73 years old and had already planned his retirement, had already bought tickets for him and his wife, Edna, uh, to go take a European cruise. And he basically said, no, nope, I'm not going to retire. We're going to, you know, we're going to make Walt's uh, dream come true. You know, the, Roy was very fond of saying, um, Walt always dreamed of castles, but I was the one who had to go and build them. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just read that quote again yesterday, in fact. Yeah. And speaking of Walt's birthday, we're actually recording this on Walt's birthday. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. And and uh, again, you know, that that became a problem because I don't know how many of your listeners have birthdays in December, but one of the things that Walt's family would do was, well, you know, your birthday is so close to Christmas. You know, instead of having a party on your birthday and, and giving you a uh, a big present on your birthday. We'll just make it a bigger present for Christmas. And uh, every one of uh, the friends that I have who are in that situation said, you know, that sounds good, but it never really works out that way. 
Yeah. You know, and and, and again, Walt's family was uh, uh, was not well off. So so having to supply a birthday present in December and then also a uh, uh, Christmas present was, was would have been quite a challenge because. Again, they're raising a, a, a family of five, which is which is tough to do. And uh, Walt's father Elias constantly, constantly uh, uh, struggling. Just never had any success in uh, you know whatever uh, job he was doing. And and he, the ironic thing is he was doing the job tremendously well and he was dedicated and you know he had the expertise but just was not getting the uh, the payback for that so um and of course uh, uh, in the disney family there too walt said uh, because money was so tight uh you know he would always get something that uh, was practical you know like uh, uh, uh underwear you know or a jacket something like that rather than uh, something fun. It was his uh, older brother Roy, um, who always set aside a couple of extra pennies so that uh, Walt could get uh, Walt and Ruth could, could get you know just a little toy you know like a like a top or a or a kaleidoscope or just something little and fun you know that they could could enjoy as, as kids you know Roy uh, Roy really looked after. Uh, uh, Walt uh, uh, pretty well there. So a lot of times people forget that Walt just came from that uh, really humble uh, Midwest farm boy um, background, you know, and for their their Christmases uh, in uh, Marceline, Missouri, you know, Walt would remember, you know, trudging through the uh, uh, snow with his uh, older brothers, you know, to go chop down you know, a, a live tree, usually a pine or a cedar, and, you know, having to drag it back. And sometimes Walt would ride on the tree because, again, you know, he was pretty much, uh, he was the youngest boy, and, and uh, uh, he was pretty frail in those days, uh, uh, too. So uh, he would ride in that uh, back to home. And then, of course, uh, they couldn't afford to buy decorations. So Walt remembered sitting with his mom, and uh, I don't know if kids do this today. I, I remember I, I did this a, a, as a kid, is you, you get the needle and thread and you sit there with your mom and, and you poke through uh, a popcorn kernel and then through a cranberry and then through another popcorn kernel. So, so you get this garland that you can, uh, can put on the tree and it's, it's inexpensive. It's a, it's a lot of uh, fun to do. It's homemade and 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 it's not just all popcorn, although I, I I've seen some people do that, but you usually separate it with something like a cranberry, so you have that different color, you have that different shape as that goes around. And and this was uh, one of Walt's first uh, uh, artistic um, endeavors as as well, because uh, he would take bits of paper and bits of uh, foil that they had left over, you know, from from whatever uh, uh, items, you know, food items or whatever. And so he would make um, little ornaments and uh, especially angels, you know, where you would take uh, uh, the stiff paper and you would fold it in half and you would uh, draw half of an angel and then you would cut it out and then when you open it up, 
you had that full angel and it was it was symmetrical um so uh you know those those were the memories that uh uh Walt had you know as, as a kid was that uh, uh Christmas was a time where um you know chores were temporarily postponed for the most part uh and uh family would get together so you know relatives w- would come over you know you'd you'd have that that uh uh nice meal and uh, of course you know you have the snow and the wonderful thing about snow especially in those non-pollution days was that snow was pretty you know uh, white and fluffy, not not slushy and dirty, and and it would cover things, you know, whether it's the plow out in the field or whatever, and so it really creates this winter wonderland where you've got this landscape that looks um, so different, and it's like, oh my gosh, this is this is so so it, it's almost as if the world just stops for a moment uh, uh, in. Uh, the 1940s, I, uh, Walt was uh, telling Reader's Digest that one of the things he liked about Christmas was, you know, it, it was that uh, respite from that uh, sense of Scrooge realism that we have, you know, throughout uh, uh, the entire year, you know, that, you know, you better earn that money, you better pay your bills, you better, you know, uh, this was that time where it all just stopped and um apparently as early as six years old he realized that uh uh no no jolly old uh, uh saint was going to be driving reindeer and landing on the roof but he pretended for years that he did because he saw it made his parents so happy Huh, and wow. uh but but yes he he revealed that at 6 years old and I've I've always had the suspicion that it was his older brother Ray uh who who did that you know cuz sometimes older brothers can be pretty mean but um he did that but when it came to his own children Diane and Sharon uh I did, I had the great opportunity to uh, to meet and uh, talk many times with uh, uh, Diane, who was about as close as you were going to get to 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 Walt, because you know she had that same uh, stubbornness, she had that same temper, you know, no nonsense type of thing. But she was just such a a wonderful uh, uh, person, huge huge heart. And and she said that um, uh, Walt and uh, her mom Lillian worked very hard to maintain that uh that whole concept of uh Santa Claus for many many uh uh years in in fact uh, she said she and her sister had to hang um their stockings outside the door and that was so that Walt and Lillian had easy access to get to them and and uh, uh fill up the uh stockings and of course the famous story the famous story was um just after uh, uh, the year after the release of uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, which was a huge hit, uh, you know, uh, they wanted to, Walt and Lily wanted to do something special for their daughters. And so uh, Christmas morning, uh, uh, Diane and uh, 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 Sharon were told, uh, 
I, I think Santa left something for you out in the backyard. And so they run out into the backyard, and there's this little dwarf's cottage with stained glass windows, and there's a, uh, a mushroom chimney on the top, even though there wasn't a fireplace inside and all that. And there was uh, double Dutch doors, you know, for them to go in. And, and, and inside there was a, a, a working sink. And um, there was a little cooler that had, you know, the, those little small-sized uh, uh, versions of food packages and, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, drinks and things like that. And even had a working phone. And Diane said the phone rang, and uh, uh, she picked up the phone, and uh, on the other end it was Santa saying, well, how do you like your little house? And and Diane said, my, my eyes must have been big as saucers. And she said, I could barely speak. And I said, I love it, Santa. And then I just hung up because I didn't know what else to do. And she said, I knew Santa had brought it because it had just appeared there. And, and the boy next door came over and said, Santa didn't bring that. I saw a bunch of carpenters build that. And Diane said, I looked at him and I said, Morgan, you are lying. I know Santa brought that because I was here yesterday and I didn't see any carpenters. And basically what had happened is the studio carpenters had, had built it at the um, uh, Disney Studios and had, had brought it over that day. But what had happened is that they had uh, – um, Lillian had distracted uh, Diane and Sharon in the front yard playing. And the carpenters came in and, you know, set up the, the whole thing. And uh, the next morning, there it is, magically, you know. The, and, <laughs> and that structure still exists today. No matter how many times that property has been uh, sold, that was on uh, Walking Way, no matter how many, uh, that structure is still back there by the – uh, pool. The inside has long been gutted, and uh, Diane had uh, uh, some pictures and some items from inside that are that are up at the uh, uh, Disney Family Museum uh, up in San Francisco that everybody should uh, uh, go up and uh, and visit. But but for her, that was that was proof that Santa Claus it, it existed. And uh, Walt even said in a in a magazine article, he says, you know, if my daughters ever ask me if Santa Claus is real, I'm going to say, yes, he is. Long live Santa. So, <laughs> good for him. Good for him. Good for him. And, and, and he, actually, he, he's right. You know, that, that spirit of Santa, the, 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 the spirit of, you know, uh, uh, giving and, and of, uh, you know, uh, taking a moment to think about uh, joy to the world and peace on earth. Uh, you know, and and that was very much, you know, um, Walt's uh, uh, philosophy. I, I got a, a chance to talk briefly with Tom Hanks, you know, when he was doing promotion for Saving Mr. Banks, and and he said, uh, uh, I you know, I, I was talking to him about, you know, how do you go about preparing to do Walt Disney? You know, everybody knows Walt Disney or thinks they know Walt Disney. And and he said, uh, you know, he said one of the most difficult things was, was getting a smile. He says, because when I, I smile, it looks kind of demonic. But but when you, you take a look at Walt's smile, you know, it really is, isn't life wonderful? You know, and he says, as opposed to Pamela Travers, who when she smiled, it was like, 
isn't life horrible? You know, but uh, uh-huh. Walt Walt really was a uh, was a Santa Claus. You know, he he kept a list of uh, uh, all of the children uh, of uh, uh, his uh, friends and his business connections and and all of that. And um, at the Disney Studio, about a month before Christmas, is when they devoted an entire sound stage to having the secretaries there. For each of these kids, they would get like one large um, Disney item, you know, like a, a, a stuffed uh, a doll or a book, and, and then a couple of little separate items, and they were all uh, wrapped individually. And Walt would drop by a couple of times each day to look to just make sure everything was being done right. And then by the time the kid hit 12, which uh, – uh, that's it. You're no longer a kid. When you're 12, that's it. You know, e- even in those days at Disneyland, when you went to 12, it cost you more to get into Disneyland. You were taken off that list and put on another list where you just got the uh, official uh, uh, Disney Christmas card each year, which, which was usually publicizing the latest um, Disney Christmas theatrical release you know and sometimes it was a re-release like of of bambi or 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 whatever actually walt wanted a christmas i i just discovered this you know that's the exciting thing about disney history is you're always learning things you're and i just ran across this uh i i was working on a another project and i ran across some of the early story notes for bambi and walt intended to have a christmas scene in there and basically his staff argued against it, and as did the uh, film distributor uh, RKO, because they said if you put a Christmas scene in there, uh, theaters will think it's a Christmas movie, and so that will limit you know, when you can re-release it and you know, uh, all of that. And uh, you know, uh, the argument went back and forth, but... So, so what happened was they hit the compromise where you have a, a, a winter scene in there, but it was Walt's intent to really have a, 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 a segment that was going to be devoted uh, uh, to Christmas in Bambi. And I, I don't know how many times I've seen that film. I don't know my, how many times I've read about that film. And I just discovered it uh, a couple of weeks ago. So, you know. What a wonderful Christmas that's, gift. There's always things to, to learn. There's always things to know. Yeah, yeah for sure. That's that's really fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and it is. And, and a lot of people don't realize what a, uh, what a risk Walt did when he made, you know, Christmas movies like, you know, Night Before Christmas or Pluto's Christmas Tree or whatever, because literally it could only be released during that holiday season and the fact that um, – there are some countries that don't celebrate those holidays or they don't celebrate them in the same way that, that uh, we do. You know, I, I have many foreign friends and, you know, I wish them happy Thanksgiving and they go, we don't celebrate Thanksgiving over here. <laughs> and I go, gosh, I guess that's right. Yeah. You know, but yeah, as I heard Thanksgiving this year, happy Thanksgiving or to our friends around the world, happy Thursday. <laughs> Although actually this year I think was the first year there probably wasn't a Thanksgiving because uh, uh, 
the the one o'clock in the morning after Halloween, suddenly all the Christmas decorations were up, and, yeah, I and, and, and the stations were playing Christmas. It, it, it's like, well, we're skipping Thanksgiving this year, folks. You know, here we go, boom, right into it. Um, and uh, you know, because once upon a time, Christmas was you know pretty well centered to you know you just want to do it for December, you know. Uh, the 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 first uh, you know Christmas celebration at Disneyland and in fact for many years was really only the uh, last two weeks of uh, you know the year the last two weeks of uh, uh, December that was and and in fact that was considered pushing it if you were pushing it up towards uh, uh, January first now you know it, it's like Christmas is forever. You know, at, at Dis- yeah. Disney actually celebrated Christmas. I, I'm, I'll be curious if any of your listeners had had this experience. If they're as old as I am, I'm, I'm as I'm as old as the hills and twice as dusty here. But <laughs> as, as a kid in the uh, Glendale News Press, um, the four weeks leading up to Christmas Day, there would be a special comic strip in the newspaper uh, from Disney. Devoted just to Christmas. This started in uh, uh, 1960, ended in uh, 1987, and uh, it would run Monday through Saturday. And it wouldn't be on the regular uh, uh, comic page because you know you don't want to create bad will by kicking out you know a, a favorite comic strip that people you know really want to do. It, it would run somewhere else in the newspaper, usually at the bottom of the page. Uh, so hopefully that would increase the circulation of the newspaper for the, the Christmas season. And, and also, since it was at a random page inside the newspaper, you had to flip through the newspaper. So that encouraged you to look at um, adverti- advertisements from local merchants. But basically what it was was it was Christmas characters who were uh, either saving Santa or saving Christmas or saving both. You know, and and you would uh, you know uh, you would mix them up together. So the uh, there's 24 installments there. You might have uh, Ludwig von Drake helping the fairies from uh, Sleeping Beauty and the and the Snow White dwarves uh, uh, to rescue Santa who has been uh, kidnapped by the big bad wolf. You know, and and so you know hmm. you just and, and some of these were done by some of the the really great. Uh, uh, Disney artists like Floyd Gottfredson. And, uh, you know, so for 24 episodes, you, you follow along and, and it's this Christmas adventure. And of course the final episode would be on, on, uh, December 25th with, uh, you know, Santa in his, his sleigh or, or, or sometimes December 24th, actually December 24th, Santa in his sleigh, you know, uh, flying off with the reindeer to to deliver presents so that they'd be there for the next day. And um, again, you know, Disney. One of the things that Disney, you know, just stopped. You know, we're we're not doing that anymore. So just stopped. But but to me, it was, you know, what a what a wonderful you know Christmas gift. You know, because uh, those were the days before. Uh, you know, uh, VCRs and all that. So, you know, the only place you could see, you know, Disney characters is, you know, on the, on the, uh, weekly Disney TV show or, or, uh, you know, if, uh, one of the theaters was doing a, a special Christmas matinee of, uh, 
uh, Kitty Matinee on Saturday of, of Disney cartoons. And, and you know, speaking of gifts, one of the things that you mentioned in the introduction was was the gift um, that Walt got uh, one Christmas when he was about 12, 13 years old, and it changed, it transformed his entire life. This this was uh, uh, when he was in Kansas City, Missouri, and uh, uh, he was a newspaper boy. He, he uh, you know, he started uh, uh, doing that when he was eight years old, and he did that for for many years. His his dad owned a newspaper uh, route, uh, you know, the Kansas City Star, all, and and again wanted to make this, you know, uh, really successful. So he was a a, a pretty hard. Uh, uh, taskmaster, you know, Walt would get up and, uh, remember this is like an eight, nine year old boy and, and he'd have to get up every morning at three o'clock because you had to get down to the corner by three thirty to pick up the, the newspapers. And so Walt said he'd get up at three o'clock in the morning and he was just so tired and he'd be sitting on the edge of his bed and he'd be trying to, to tie his shoes and he'd just fall asleep tying his shoes. And his father would yell, Walter! And he said he'd immediately wake up and his heart was racing and, you know, uh, finished up and got down there. And and then by 4 o'clock in the morning, he's out there, uh, you know, with this big, huge sack, uh, you know, uh, 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 across him, crisscross, and, and the papers were pretty heavy. And he's out there in the dark. Uh, you know, delivering these papers, you know, and, and there were apartment buildings, and so you, there weren't elevators. You walked up the outside uh, steps, so some of them were like uh, three floors uh, uh, high, and, um, and yeah, it, it was a tough life for Walt because he'd have to do that and then come home and hope that there was enough time for breakfast and then go to school, and then at lunch he would rush across the street to the pharmacy to uh, help sweep out or sometimes make some deliveries just to get a lunch and then go back to school. And then when school finished, he couldn't stay and play with his friends because there was an afternoon edition of the paper. So he had to rush and get the afternoon edition to deliver and uh, then uh, come home and start his homework, have dinner, then finish the homework, try to get to bed early because it would start all over again the next day, three in the morning. And this is seven days a week. And, and, and he said, you know, and the Sunday paper were huge in, in those days. And Walt did this for years. And he did this, you know, even through um, the winter where there was bad weather. You know, he, uh, uh, Walt always liked to tell a good story. Sometimes he would you know, it, it exaggerate for dramatic effect. And, and he said, yeah, the snow drifts were higher than I was. And so I literally went back and checked the weather reports uh, for Kansas City during those years. And he was absolutely right. You know, uh, Walt, uh, Walt grew to about 5'10", and, and these snow drifts were higher than he was. And, and it was icy and it was slippery. He, he told Diane that Sometimes he would go up those those wooden steps on the apartment buildings, and they were so slippery that he would have to get down and just crawl in order to you know to get up there. And sometimes he would slip, and he would fall all the way back down to the bottom, and 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 he would he would just cry because he was all alone and and it was dark, and 
and he could, so he just cried. And and one of the sections where he delivered papers was um, a very well-to-do section. And so sometimes they would kids would leave their toys, you know, just scattered out there, you know, especially on the porch. And so Walt said sometimes what he would do is he would slip off, you know, the the newspaper sack uh, and um, he would sit down and he would play with the toys. And he said he was always very careful to put them back exactly where he found them. And one time he found a, a box of half-eaten candy. You know, uh, sometimes people will punch their uh, 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 finger through the candy to see, you know, is that a cream or is that a caramel? Or, or they take a bite and they go, oh, I don't like that one, you know. Uh-huh. And, and so Walt finished off a couple of those half-eaten uh, uh, chocolates. So uh, when he was about 12, 13, uh, a lot of the kids at school were wearing these uh, special boots. You know, I have nieces and nephews, so I've I've gotten to the fact that I realize I should never buy them any clothes at all. Give them a gift card, but don't because Uncle Jim will always make the wrong decision about what kids are really wearing. Kids know what they want to wear, and it's what other kids are wearing. And so Walt wanted these nice leather boots that, that he had seen. And, of course, the Disney family cannot possibly afford them. So Walt made the big pitch to his, his uh dad about you know how these these were really practical you know and they would provide better traction you know especially during the bad weather and all that and his his, uh, dad wasn't having you know any of that at all but you know walt just started to obsess about these because they had these decorated laces and and things like this and, and looked really really nice so uh anyway um his birthday came and he really, he didn't get anything. And, and, you know, it was like, okay, yeah, I know I'm going to get a bigger gift at, at, at Christmas. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I get that. You know, that's just the way it is. And, and again, you know, Walt wasn't, Walt was more excited about giving gifts to people than getting that. Even, even when he w- he was uh, older, you know, uh, Diane and Sharon got him this big, huge book on, uh, Leonardo da Vinci one time and and Diane said we gave it to him and we thought he'd just be ecstatic and he goes what are you trying to do educate me and he and he <laughs> he just tossed it aside she said but later that day we saw him in a corner and he was just pouring over it and looking through it you know um uh so anyway what happens is uh, christmas comes and there's only one present for Walt uh under the tree and, you know, he, he rips through it because, you know, everybody's happy to get a present. And it was the boots. And what has happened is uh, his mom, Flora, had put a cu- away a couple of pennies each month, uh, you know, from the grocery budget. Um, you know, and Roy had uh, gotten an extra job to earn some extra money temporarily over the Christmas season to get that. So they bought him that pair of boots and he put it on and he immediately ran outside. He immediately ran downtown um, and there was a drugstore on the corner of um, uh, 31st and uh, Indiana. And so he's leaning against this drugstore, you know, sticking out his feet. 
so that people walking by can see that he's got these boots. You know, mm-hmm. he's showing these off. And then sure. about um, oh five thirty six o'clock, it's starting to get dark, and so he, he, he's got to go home. And, uh, again, remember, this is about a 12-, 13-year-old kid, and uh, he's, he's walking down the street, and there's, you know, blocks of ice in the road, and, and uh, they'd already started to melt, you know, a little bit. And uh, uh, so Walt was always a clever guy, so what he decided to do is he's going to create, you know, his own game. And so he starts kicking these blocks of ice, and he noticed that, you know, they can skid a little bit. So he starts practicing about, you know, you know how high and at what angle and what, you know, can you kick this and can you, you know, uh, tear them off, you know, the, the sidewalk, you know, just like a pool table type thing, you know, and do this. And so he's having great fun walking home doing this, and he sees this big uh, block of ice, and so he prepares to give it like this huge kick so he can see how far he can slide it down the the street, you know? So he really winds up for this kick and he kicks the ice and he's stuck. He can't pull his foot out and he can't get any leverage and and his his foot hurts and he's trying to maneuver and he's he's sort of stuck with his, his foot partway up Inside the ice was a nail, uh-huh. an old horseshoe nail, hmm. and it had gone right through the boot into his foot, and he was he, he couldn't twist himself out, whatever, and he's, he's starting to panic, you know, because uh, the, the streets are, are now pretty empty, people are Again, it's Christmas. People are home with their families, all of this. And he sees a, a streetcar in the distance, and he's yelling, and he's waving his arms, and nobody's paying attention. And he said there was a, a, a couple on the other side uh, of, of the street down the block, and they looked, and they just turned away because they thought he was a kid, you know, playing some type of a gag, some type of a trick, you know. Um, and And so he says he was stuck there for about, 20 minutes, maybe more. And whether he was or not, it certainly must have seemed that way to him. And a horse-drawn wagon, you know, uh, was coming down, and and Walt was yelling, help, help! And the guy stopped for a moment and then moved on, and Walt just burst into tears. Tears are just pouring down his face. And the guy stops and turns back, and he goes, are you kidding me? And Walt says, no, no, I'm stuck. And so the guy gets out of the wagon, comes, takes a look, sees what's happened, grabs a tool out of the wagon and chips away around the ice and um, picks Walt up in his arms and carries him down to the end of the block where there's a doctor. And they go into the doctor, and the doctor says, uh, I don't have anything to give you, kid, meaning, you know, he didn't have any anesthetic or whatever. And they called in another guy just to hold Walt down because they had to get these big, huge pliers, you know, to dig in and grab the nail and pull it out. Now, in order to do that, he had to cut away the boot. 
And then he had to dig in, you know, to get out any of the dirt and infection. And then there was a tetanus shot. And then to make matters worse, had to call his father to come pick him up. And there's an additional charge because the doctor did work. Mm -hmm. And so Walt is taken home and he is just feeling horrible. You know, he had made this big deal about the boots. He's, he's never, you know, obviously he's not going to get another pair of these boots. You know, this was a once in a lifetime type of thing. And, and his father had to end up paying, you know, uh, some extra money and to make it worse, Walt was out of commission now for two weeks. He couldn't, you know, stand on that foot. So his father had to find somebody else to do Walt's, you know, newspaper deliveries and all of that. And so Walt was in the living room and he had to have his, uh, keep his foot elevated. And, of course, we're talking, uh, what, 1912, uh, uh, 1913 uh, 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 around now. And, and so there's no radio, you know, during the day. Right. You know, obviously there's no, you know. Uh, Xbox or anything else to to, to play with, uh, so uh, uh, you know all all he can do is he can read, and he was given a uh, sketch pad by his his aunt, and uh, again I don't know how many of uh, your listeners are, are this old, but when I was in elementary school, uh, the sketch pads were made out of this wood pulp paper, which is the the cheapest paper you can have. You can actually see bits of wood in the paper itself, you know, because they figure, you know, you're just going to, you know, uh, use this to practice, you know, writing uh, the alphabet and, and cursive and, and, and all this. So, you know, it doesn't have to be the greatest paper in the world. It just has to be something that's serviceable. And uh, so Walt sat there and, you know, uh, would do some cartoons, would do some caricatures. And his mom, of course, um, in the afternoon would uh, go to his school, you know, to, to pick up his homework and then, uh, you know, also drop off the homework that he did. And Walt would give her uh, some cartoons, you know, to hand out to some of his friends at school. You know, well, how, how's Walt doing? How, how's Diz doing? That was his, his nickname, Diz, D-I-Z. Uh, how's Diz doing? Um, and then uh, there was also a uh, barber shop uh, on on the on the route there, and uh, they liked Walt. Walt 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 was always a charismatic, charismatic, uh, likable kid. And so you know she'd drop off a couple of cartoons there, and they'd post them up on the wall. And then the next day when she'd walk by, they'd say, oh, yeah, we love this cartoon. And tell Walt, you know, you really should do a caricature of, you know, such and such and whatever. And um, so it was during those two weeks that Walt realized that what he wanted to be was a cartoonist. And people today just don't understand what a stupid decision that was. Because there were no uh-huh. jobs for cartoonists. You know, there's no animated cartoons, you know, being done. The only cartoons are in a newspaper, and the newspaper already has a staff cartoonist, you know, you know? Do, doing, right. doing the cartoons or, and doing the cartoons for the advertisements and things like that. So there is no job 
for a cartoonist. And here you are, a, a, a kid who has, uh, and, and again, he was doing very, very poorly in school, but, at, you know, some of that is because, you know, just of his schedule. So sometimes in school he'd just drop off to sleep because he was, you know, he was so tired. And uh, so at best his grades were just average. You know, he had a, uh, even in art, you know, the teacher one day, Mrs. Olson, had assigned an assignment where you were supposed to draw a still life. You know, there were some flowers. And so Walt being Walt, of course, drew faces on the flowers and, and changed the leaves into arms and hands. And uh, he was reprimanded in front of the entire class by his teacher that says, you will never be an artist. You know, flowers do not have eyes and hands. And, you know, and a little realizing that in 1932, the Silly Symphony Flowers and Trees would win the very first Academy Award for, uh, you know, uh, an animated short. But uh, so Walt was not doing well in school at all. And so basically what he's looking towards and what his dad saw for Walt was you know a job in some type of of business you know a jelly factory or warehouse you know something like that and here Walt is thinking my gosh I'm going to be a cartoonist you know and um by golly he did you know he did uh, uh after uh, his foot healed I, I think his dad felt um so sorry, you know, because uh, his dad was not a bad guy. Sometimes he's portrayed as, you know, really strict and really super religious and conservative. And, and he was all of that, but he, he also had a good heart and, you know, he, he loved things and he wanted, you know, to make things right. And so Walt on Saturday mornings got to take a, a couple of uh, uh, art classes at, um, uh, the the local uh, uh, art school there, you know, and and two of the cartoonists, Leroy Gossett and uh, Kerry Orr, were uh, cartoonists for local uh, newspapers there. So, um, and then remember, we're talking about he's 13 years old. When by the time he's 16, he's off in France. He's you know volunteered for the uh, 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 Red Cross Ambulance Corps. And then when he comes back, he's had so much life experience overseas that he doesn't see any benefit about going back to high school. But he still has this dream of, I'm going to be a cartoonist. I'm going to, and, and he pursued that, you know. Sometimes people know at a really early age of their life, you know, what they want to be. And Walt wanted to be a cartoonist. And so, um, you know, they, for people listening to this, you, you need to realize that the Christmas season is, is very special, it's especially when it comes to gifts, because it was that gift that Walt received that literally changed his entire life, gave us the Walt Disney that we know as Walt Disney. You know, it, it really helped him to, to, to focus and go on. So, so this year, when you give a Christmas gift or you receive a Christmas gift, you know, take a look at that very carefully. That may, that may be that one thing that can transform an entire life.
Right. And not only did that transform his life, it wasn't that he got this gift that he's always wanted and he used it the way that it was meant to be used and it led him in exactly the path he thought it was going to. It was a gift he'd always wanted, but then everything else that happened after that was exactly not what he wanted. <laughs> and that's what turned him into the person that he became. Yes. You know? My gosh. And, and you know, uh, uh, Randy, we always think of, of of Christmas and Disney together. You know, they, they're, there's so much that, that's just so similar about, about both of those uh, uh, topics, both of those images. It's true. There are. And, in fact, uh, as we were talking about what we were going to discuss in this interview, you had mentioned that there's an animated uh, Christmas uh, cartoon where Walt voiced a character. Oh, Which yes, one was yes, that? yes. Um, it's uh, the night before uh, Christmas. Oftentimes, people did voices in Disney cartoons who just happened to be, you know, at the studio. Because since they were at the studio, you didn't have to pay them extra. You know, so you have a secretary who does, you know, uh, who originally did the uh, uh, voice for uh, Dale, the, the chipmunk, you know, and... Um, uh, Jack Hanna, who directed some of the Humphrey the Bear cartoons, uh, you know, it does some of the grunts for Humphrey, you know, in the cartoon, just because, you know, you happen to be there. And, and so you don't have to pay anybody extra or whatever. And so there's a Silly Symphony uh, short, The Night Before Christmas, where, you know, Santa is reviewing, you know, the list of uh, good boys and uh, uh, girls. And uh, there's a grumpy elf. Who, who is voiced by uh, Pinto Kolvig, who later went on to voice uh, uh, Grumpy in The Seven Dwarfs. And, uh, you know, uh, he talks about this one boy who, you know, um, doesn't wash behind his ears. And Santa just laughs and says, uh, we're going to give him a, a cake of soap. And uh, <laughs> uh, uh, one of the elves goes, all right, a cake of soap. And that's Walt. <laughs> <laughs> and and so he he's that that and and in those days Walt didn't give credit to people who did voices in cartoons, because he said, um, you know, first off, he wants people to think of these characters as real, okay, but in addition to that, I I thought it was very telling. He said, if you emphasize the voice, people think, well, the voice is the character. And he says, that's not it. He says, the character is composed of uh, the story man's idea of the character and the artist's conception of what the character would look like and, and the animator's, uh, you know, uh, how the animator makes the character move, you know, does, does he do a little hitch step, you know, does he, uh, or, or like Donald Duck, you know, sticks out his arm and pumps away and all that. He says, all of that combines together to make the character. So if we emphasize the just the voice, we're doing a disservice to all of these other people, but also to the character it, itself, because the character is a combination of all of these things. You know, so you know. Just, and uh, have you ever received a really good Disney Christmas gift, Randy? Yeah, I've gotten a couple of them, actually. Like what? Uh, back during the 50th anniversary of Disneyland, they had this 
uh, CD collection. It was a six CD collection. Oh, yes, really yes. nice. Very much. I got that. Oh, that, that's that's a beautiful set. And it has a nice little booklet in there too. I always like that when when there are CDs and uh, and videos and things like that 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 have you know a little supplemental book because I'm I'm just an information hound. I just love uh, information. I've I've had a couple of uh, nice uh, uh, Christmas gifts over the the years when um, uh, the Frank and uh, Ollie book uh, Ill- uh, Disney Animation: The Illusion of Life. Uh, uh, came out in the uh, 80s there. Uh, my dad had a friend who worked as a uh, uh, secretary at the Disney Studios, and so she got me, um, actually got for my dad to give to me, uh, a, a hardcover edition of that uh, autographed by Frank and Ollie. And, and I still have that on my, my bookshelf today, and I, I use that that constantly to you know, to pull through and, and go through that. But uh, I, I think my favorite Christmas gift happened when I was, uh, gosh, I, I, I would say about 15, 16. I, w- I was always very interested in... That brings us to the end of this week's show. A special thank you to Jim Corcus for being my guest and to you for listening. Come back next time for more about Disney and Christmas. Rather than our usual sponsor message this time, I'd like to again ask for your help supporting a great and worthy cause. As you probably know, I'm a runner. I run first for myself and what it does for me. I run second for my family so that I can be healthy for them, especially now that I have a daughter. What you may not know unless you listen to the previous episode is that third, I run for others. To raise money for causes and organizations that I care deeply about. More than half of the races I run every year I do in support of worthwhile causes. On the weekend of January 15th to the 17th, 2016, I will run 22.4 miles for Team Muscle Makers for Ulrich Congenital Muscular Dystrophy. Yes, I'm running a 5K, a 10K, and a half marathon, all in support of this important cause. Please listen to this message I recorded recently at Disneyland to learn a little more about UCMD how you can help, and what a, what very special gift I'm offering if you do, besides the fact that your donation is tax-deductible. Hi, this is Randy. Some of you watching this video know me, some of you probably don't, but I wanted to give you a special video message uh, about my fundraising for the Star Wars Half Marathon weekend coming up in January. Some kids running around here, but we're currently in Tomorrowland, also currently temporarily known as Star Wars Overlay Land. You can hear the music and everything going on here. And uh, I'm going to be doing this race weekend in January to raise money for Team Muscle Makers, which is raising money for Ulrich's congenital muscular dystrophy. It's a really rare form of muscular dystrophy that strikes in childhood or congenital. Kids are born with it. And it's a really debilitating illness. Uh, For really severe cases, children are expected to die by the time they're about 10 years old or so. Not all do, but it, it is expected. And so I really want to raise money for this cause. This is really important to me, and I'm asking for your help. But I'm not just asking for your help. I'm offering something in return. Uh, obviously, I can't sell you anything for this. But what I will do is, if you will donate $50 or more uh, before the fundraising deadline, which is the end of December, uh, if you'll donate $50 or more by that time, then sometime in the next 12 months, uh, whenever you need it, 
I will do a custom one or two part one day Disneyland touring plan for you and your group, up to about six people or so. If uh, don't want to need that. Maybe you're a frequent guest and you know, a frequent visitor. You don't need that, but you want to do something for someone else. I'll do it for them. You just tell me who you want me to do it for. I'll work with you. Find out what kind of things you want to do, what you're most interested in, what you don't care about, and I'll do a custom touring plan just for you for the day you're going for your family or you know, your group. Fifty dollars or more is all I'm asking, and you get that gift in exchange. If you do seventy-five dollars or more, I'll do the same thing, and I will send you a copy of both of my books, uh, Faith in the Magic Kingdom and Once Upon Your Time. You get both of those and the touring plan. So we're getting a lot of noise around here, so we're going to go ahead and wrap up this video. There's a link below, or you can go to storiesofthemagic.com/tmm. It's TMM for Team Muscle Makers, or click the link below. And that'll take you to the page where you can do your donation. Uh, on top of all of this, it's also tax deductible. So if you're looking for a year-end thing, this is a great way to do it. Help me help these kids and find a cure uh, for this really terrible disease. And get something out of it in the meantime. So thank you for watching and thank you for your donation. If you're currently doing something because of your love for Disney, You've written a book, created a website, you're blogging, writing or performing music, art or whatever, and you want to tell people about it and why it matters to you, I want to hear from you. I also want to talk to and hear from people who've worked for Disney. And if you're a Disney guest of any Disney experience, and you've had an encounter or an interaction with a cast member that made some extra Disney magic, or you've had any special Disney experience you want to share, maybe something about your holiday time in Disney and how those are connected in your history, or even today. For any of these, email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY and tell me about your experience. Subscribe to Stories of the Magic in iTunes, the Xbox Music Store, on the website, or you can hear Stories of the Magic while on the go with Stitcher Smart Radio. If you like the show, please rate and review Stories of the Magic in iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever else you listen to the show and can rate it. That would be a great Christmas present that you could give me. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, visit storiesofthemagic.com and leave a comment on the show notes for this or any episode. While you're there, check out the show notes for useful links from each episode. Like in this one, I've got links for Theme Park Press, where you can find more about Jim and get his books. Like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash storiesofthemagic. Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash storiesofmagic and tweet out that you're listening or pin it on Pinterest. Tell your friends about the show. Keep letting others know that you're listening so they can join in the magic, too. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Stories of the Magic. There will be other days, and other stories. And this tale continues next time. You've been listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. If you have feedback, want to share a story of your own, or even be a guest on the show, write to Randy at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call our listener feedback line, 734-23-STORY. And don't forget to visit the website, storiesofthemagic.com for show notes from this and every episode and to leave your comments. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, live your dreams and make the magic in your world.